everybody knows that energy transition is a new economy. Renewables are giving to the society jobs, less uh, imports, so they are making some benefit in the commercial international operations between countries because they are avoiding the, the import of fuel. Uh, they are uh, offering industrial, local industrial development, so they are offering new GDP because the renewables are creating a new economy in the markets. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Welcome to Energy Unplugged. I'm Tekla von Bülow project leader for commission projects at Aurora's Berlin office. Let me introduce you to my guest on the show today. He is our first Spanish guest on the podcast. He's been in the energy industry for over 35 years and without any doubt uh, is a true pioneer of renewable energies. He is the CEO of the largest independent renewable developer and operator in the world. My guest on the show today is Rafael Mateo, Energy CEO of Axiona. Welcome, Rafael. Thank you, Trita. Good morning. So to give our listeners a bit of background on you, Rafael, um, you are an electric engineer by training. You started off your career at Endesa and worked for the company for over 20 years. In your last position at Endesa, you were the CEO of Endesa Chile, where you oversaw the installation of major renewable projects and introduced uh, the country to LNG. You yes. joined Axiona in 2010 as the CEO of Axiona's energy business. Axiona has 10 gigawatts of own capacity, mostly onshore wind and solar. Axiona is a true global player, active in 16 countries on all five continents and is the seventh largest operator globally in terms of installed renewable capacity. So, Raphael, let's start off this podcast and talk a bit about your extensive career in the energy sector. You say about yourself that in your career, you followed um, the natural evolution of the energy industry, and you're now entirely committed to scaling renewable energies. Looking back, say, 15 years, would you say you anticipated how the energy industry would evolve? Okay, thank you, Tecla. Yes, it's, it's true. I started my career in the energy sector in the early 80s. Uh, I was, uh, at those moments, I was working on coal, dirty coal, and, and I was living the natural technical evolution of the energy sector, uh, working at the beginning in coal, in, in cleaning coal, in, in, S, in the sulfurization, and later in big dams, in big hydro, in, in combined cycles, in small hydro, and today in, in renewables, very deeply involved in renewables. So this is the, the natural evolution in the sector. I remember 39 years ago when I started my career, uh, emission was not a problem, so the, the sulfur was a most pollutant gas, CO2 was not a matter, and, and things changed a lot from the from this, these times. Today, there is no doubt about the 
the role of the renewables. Uh, the renewables started maybe 20, 30 years ago. Uh, the, the renewables have been uh, underestimated for years. Maybe for the big utilities, renewables were considered the little brother. Uh, it was nothing compared with the big dams or the big coal or big uh, combined cycle because the intermittency, because the, there was a, not yet a mature uh, technology, a mature business. Just as a reminder, the, the first terawatt hour in the, in the world took 20 years. The second will be in five years and at same, at, at a half of price that the, the, the first one. So the penetration today uh, is, is very fast, there is no doubt. Uh, probably 10 years ago, nobody was realizing the very dramatic change that was becoming. And today, there is no doubt uh, the renewable are, without any doubt, the solution to fill the gap between the offer and the demand of uh, electricity and to make the substitution of the fossil electricity in order to clean uh, our atmosphere. Yeah, it's it's interesting what you're saying, and um, I, I I fully agree. Um, I think most of the people completely underestimated um, the expansion of um, renewable development and the decrease in LCE, for instance, in in wind and solar, and um, how how bankable these projects uh, would become. Um, on the other hand, I find quite interesting because some of the technologies um, that were in discussion 10 years ago, for instance, CCOS and also hydrogen, um, kind of were did not take off for a long time and are coming back on the agenda to, to play a role in the whole decarbonization uh, discussion. So looking into a crystal ball, and let's assume you will continue to follow the natural evolution of, of the energy industry, um, where do you see the world heading in the next 10 years in terms of new technologies and renewable build-out and decarbonization? When we are talking about the evolution of the, of the energy sector, we are talking about technology. Uh, maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago, the renewable technology was not available, or, or even better, nobody was deciding to uh, invest in the technology because the technology today the, is very simple uh, wind onshore and even offshore and, and pv panels are very simple compared with very uh, sophisticated technologies that we were using in the past so uh, it was not the moment to invest in renewables in a very massive uh, uh, way today the the trajectory is very well defined uh, Technology is available, that is the first uh, necessary condition. The technology is mature, is, is, is cheap, is, uh, is very efficient. So the technology is available. That is, is the first thing that we need to, to, to leave in the, in, the, in the chains. Second is that all the markets has a very clear idea about becoming more renewable. The, the, the clear example is China. China, maybe more than half of the GDP in the world, uh, without any doubt, the, the most pollutant market in the, in the world, and have a very clear decision of becoming carbon neutral in 2050, 2060. There are many economies, many of takers, many uh, private uh, corporations, uh, who have decided to be carbon neutral 
in the next 20, 30 years. So the off-takers decide, the governments and regulators decide, and the technology is, is available. So there is not necessarily a crystal ball today. There is a, a very true future about renewables in, in 20 years. Uh, we will be in a net zero uh, emission world. Uh, plenty of renewables where coal uh, will not uh, work uh, more in the future, probably with no more nuclear, no more new nuclear, and where the gas, the combined cycle, will be as the, as the very uh, picking uh, technology. So the, the, the future is very clear and is, is uh, well decided. Uh, we are uh, going directly to the full decarbonization of the world. Let's talk about, about Axiona. Your company has, has very ambitious plans in terms of renewable development. And you mentioned just uh, China as uh, being a country with very high ambitions on uh, renewable development. What, what countries are you focusing uh, your growth ambitions on? And how, how would you summarize the main drivers uh, for Axiona to, to go for those countries? Well, today we are operating 10 and a half gigawatts uh, of renewables, pure renewables, no emission. We are a carbon neutral group uh, four years ago uh, with a long-term experience. Probably we were a pioneer in the industry that is not always uh, easy because to be a pioneer is more risky. Today it's, it's easier to be part of the renewables world, but uh, 20 years ago was less, less easy, more complicated. Today we are operating in 16 countries, uh, but mainly our main markets are uh, our, uh, the US uh, market, the uh, Chilean and Mexico market, Australia and Spain, but with a lot of small opportunities in very different markets, thinking in the future, thinking in the opportunity for the next decade in some countries as, uh, where we are also operating as uh, South Africa or Croatia, or uh, Egypt or Ukraine, small operations just to be prepared for the next decade. But our massive investment today is, is focused in the in this uh, big five, uh, US, uh, Australia, Chile, Mexico, and in, in Spain. We have some plans of growth committed with the market. Uh, we committed uh, to growth something around one gigawatt per year. So that means uh, five new gigawatts be before 2025, uh, moving our capacity from 10 to 15, maybe even even more. And for that, uh, we have enough uh, enough activity in construction. Today we are uh, in the middle of the construction of more than 1.1 gigawatts uh, in US, Mexico, Chile, Ukraine. Spain in Australia. We have uh, maybe two and a half gigawatts uh, in Spain with uh, connection rights, with permitting for connection. And we have a pipeline around 30 or 13 or 15 uh, gigawatts to develop our uh, next uh, mid-term uh, growth. So uh, we are focused in, in many countries because uh, the scope for our activity in the future is wide, but uh, in the short term, our activity is focused in, the, in our main markets. And maybe today with the pandemic, it's, it's even easier because to open a new market today in the situation 
without the possibility of traveling and so is more difficult. Now we are focusing our activity in the, in the short term in these five markets, in the midterms uh, wide uh, world. Yeah, interesting. When you when you talk about these these countries, US, Mexico, and Chile, and Australia, and Spain, these are very different um, countries in a way, in the way they they are set up, and the way um, they have country risk also inherent. Um, now, renewable energy development is a high risk endeavor with with large amount of upfront capital required, um, and now both. Both Chile and Mexico, for instance, are countries with high regulatory and political risk, um, especially in comparison with some of those other countries that you mentioned. Um, is is that um, part of a kind of a broader risk strategy or risk mitigation strategy um, to to go in some of these riskier uh, countries? And what other methods is Axiona using as a risk mitigation tools for its business? Yes, uh, the, you, you know that well that the, the resources uh, or the, the energy sector is very intensive in, in equity in, 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 in debt. So uh, one of our obligation, one of our obsession is uh, to secure the, the, the flows of the, the business for the for our shareholders. So for that, we are applying all kinds of risk mitigation policies. Uh, our main policy in terms of risk mitigation is the diversification. For us, this is crucial. We are diversified in geographies. We are diversified also in technologies. We are diversified in, in products. We are selling not just energy, we are selling energy certificates, green certificates, capacity, or, and we are diversified in off-takers. We are selling off uh, our energy to a very different kind of off-takers in order to secure our incomes. We can be sure about uh, more than 95%, maybe not in the pandemic conditions, because this is a very unusual year, but in a, a, in a normal conditions, almost 95% of our revenues are secured. Uh, so it's because that uh, we are diversifying in markets. Maybe some markets as uh, the US or Australia, they are giving lower returns and lower risk. In some markets, as uh, Chile or Mexico, are giving to us a higher returns and maybe have a risk. But at the end, it's a combination that we need to take care. It's about the total risk in our portfolio. We are operating in 16 countries, and uh, that, that for us, uh, the the target is to control the portfolio risk. So for us, it's not it's not a, a matter to go in a new market. Uh, probably more risky, but with a better return in order to equilibrate our portfolio. But mainly 80% uh, of our portfolio and 80% of our growth in the future is in consolidated markets where the return is not so high, but the risk is also uh, under control. Interesting. Yeah, I, I now would like to talk a little bit with you about the global decarbonization efforts. And we, we touched upon it a little bit um, earlier. Uh, but this is a topic that I'm personally very uh, passionate about. So luckily, the global COVID-19 pandemic has not put um, a huge halt to the momentum on decarbonization, uh, especially when we look at large corporates that have committed to, to net zero targets. 
One major hurdle, however, that we see, especially in times of a global recession, is a lack of capital available for decarbonisation. Um, on EU level, the European programmes such as Next Generation and the Green Deal have been put in place um, to support efforts in greening our economies. What is your take on these EU programmes and do you think they will be enough to set the ball in motion? Yeah, that's clear that today there is not necessary to discuss between economy or in, in ecology because the, the recovery, the economy recovery and the energy transition are the same thing. So there is the, 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 the old discussion between growth and, and environmental situation is, is absolutely obsolete today. And today there is no discussion because everybody knows that energy transition is a new economy. Renewables are giving to the society jobs, uh, less uh, imports, so they are benefit, they are uh, making some benefit in the in the commercial international operations between countries because they are avoiding the, the import of fuel. Uh, they are uh, offering industrial local industrial development so they, they the, the, they are offering GDP, new GDP, because the renewables are creating a new economy uh, in the in the markets. So that's clear that today the, the most sophisticated markets uh, have decided that the recovery needs to be green recovery. Is because that uh, Europe has a very clear decision about the economical recovery needs to be on the hands of the next generation. That is. Uh, energy transition and digitalization, because the the the, the renewables uh, are using local energy resources and limited uh, local energy resources, and this is a, a very a high value for the different markets, and it's very easy to develop uh, in the different countries the the full value uh, chain of uh, manufacturing. So uh, when we are talking about renewables, we are talking about local uh, energy. We are not uh, talking about importing energy from other markets, from other countries. We are talking about developing in the own country technology, industrial activity, jobs uh, to use the unlimited uh, natural and clean energy resources. In terms of the next generation, it's a huge amount, amount of money that is going to be directed to the uh, energy uh, transition, to the energy uh, systemic change. And that's clear that in the markets uh, where we are, we are preparing a list of projects, innovative projects, in, uh, in, in order to be candidates uh, to receive some part of this uh, uh, incentives uh, uh, to develop uh, our activity and to make a positive contribution to the economical development of the of these economies. We like to be part of the recovery. 
Yeah, an interesting point that you just mentioned is this fact about um, local um, uh, renewables. And when I talk to to the different corporates, um, this is a very important point for them when they look uh, for, for to decarbonize their activities. They're really looking into decarbonizing in the countries that they are actually um, emitting or, or producing the, the emissions. Um, so let's talk a little bit about PPAs, which is kind of a, a central tool for, for corporates uh, who are looking to decarbonize. And Axiona has been very active in, in this field, um, providing PPAs to corporates um, also this year. Um, however, when we, when we look at Europe um, and the development of, of PPAs um, in, in European countries, we are lagging far behind, uh, for instance, the US uh, when, when it comes to corporate PPAs. Um, wh what hurdles do you see for corporate PPAs in Europe uh, in comparison to the US? And, and what could, for instance, regulators or the markets do in order to kind of um, really push this market forward in Europe? Yeah, that's true that Europe is, is delayed uh, compared with other markets in terms of signing corporate PPAs. Uh, I remember I, I arrived to, to live in South America 20 years ago, and 20 years ago there, PPA was absolutely normal because the, it was the, the manner of uh, investing in a plant uh, with a private dedicated PPA with a customer. So uh, we have a lot long term experience about uh, PPAs. For us, it's not news. Uh, today, the good news is that there are a lot of new corporations uh, very committed with the environmental policies that today are able of buying directly the electricity and putting in competition some uh, clean suppliers in order to supply them. So this is a good news. Uh, these corporations are uh, uh, they, they are more sophisticated in in terms of contracting the electricity and for us they are a very good counterparty but ppas is not the only solution for us i said before that for us the the crucial uh, aspect is to secure the risk of our portfolio and to secure the risk for us is very important the diversification in of takers so for us uh, of uh, PPAs is a part, but we are also selling to long-term PPAs, short-term PPAs, retailing, uh, public uh, uh, auctions, private auctions, uh, mid-term. So at the end, uh, we are managing a portfolio of, of takers. That's true that we are very active in, in PPAs in the US. We signed recently a very relevant PPA there, also in Mexico, in in Chile, in Australia, in Spain. Uh, we are trying to do it in some markets in Europe, but at the end, the PPA is one uh, more tool uh, in terms of uh, securing our incomes. Today, that we can say is that uh, something around 80% of our sales are contracted. So our exposure to the merchant evolution is less than 20%. And, and we are deploying today, even internally, a commercial team in order to be more active and to be closer of the potential of takers uh, to, to sell our electricity towards PPA. Probably Europe 
needn't to do it to do it in the past because there was enough capacity or maybe more than enough capacity and the PPA was not uh, relevant. Today, to boost and to accelerate the investment in renewables, the PPA is, is a clear accelerator, it's an enabler. Yeah, I mean, what we see in the market, or um, what I what I see is um, is reducing the the amount of, of PPAs or making it very long for PPAs to be closed. There's the there's the lack of standardization um, in um, in in the contract structures of PPAs, and everything has to be um, renegotiated um, every time. Um, what are you doing in, in terms of um, helping to, to standardize um, PPAs in, in Europe? Well, we, we are very active in, in, in conversations or in negotiation with big, big European uh, corporations, uh, uh, offering and even signing some PPAs, not physical PPAs, also virtual PPAs using as an example, our Spanish assets to sell energy in other countries in Europe. So we, we are very active in all kind of uh, forums and events in order to create uh, good ambience for the PPAs. That's true that PPAs today are shorter than uh, everybody was thinking before, probably because there is enough capacity and, and, and today five years is long term from many companies and and today that we are understanding is that there are many corporations very interested in buying directly the electricity with a PPA, but not a 15 years PPA uh, that was before. Today, a five to 10 is, a, is the normal length uh, of the, the normal maturity of the PPA. But we are very active and, and we are signing uh, today more than two gigawatts uh, of our uh, production is closed with uh, corporate PPAs, and to have uh, we have also around two additional gigawatts, uh, very close to be signed in uh, with PPAs, especially in U.S., Spain, uh, Mexico, and Chile. Not so active in Europe because in Europe uh, companies are starting today. Uh, about PPAs. The American corporation are very much active than the European corporation today, not in the future. When we look at um, off-takers, um, one major hurdle that I see when it comes to corporate PPAs is the, the credit worthiness of off-takers. So even though there is a lot of off, um, interest from off-takers, um, the 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 amount of uh, uh, possible partners uh, for for companies um, like Akiton and other developers is um, is counterparty risk and um, the um, the amount of credit worthy off takers and this of course has been um, increased this problem um, during the the COVID nineteen crisis um, with a lot of corporates um, being. Uh, downgraded. Um, do you see this as an issue uh, as well? And do, do you feel that the, the amount of possible partners for you is actually quite small? 
No, I think we are we are between the the qualified companies to serve our electricity. We are the seventh company in the world, ex China companies, in terms of size of our portfolio of renewables, operating portfolio of renewables. So we are a, an actor in front of the of takers, one of the five of one of the six uh, relevant actors in the in the market. Uh, it's, uh, there is a very interesting question. When the private of takers are asking for energy, they are very selective. Very, they are selecting uh, between the um, the companies with solvency, with uh, uh, deep knowledge of the market, and with uh, very sophisticated tools, and and obviously, uh, and obviously with enough uh, financial uh, solvency to serve. To them, the electricity for long term. Uh, we rather prefer uh, private PPAs or corporate PPAs better than public uh, auctions because uh, public auctions are more open to any kind of participants. And, and maybe in some public auctions, some kinds of participants are in the middle of the process. Not all of them are the same. Not all, all of them are with the same idea. You can found utilities, long-term utilities, with the idea of serving electricity for a long term. But you can found also developers just to, with the idea of monetizing the, the standard cost of the development. Or maybe you can found uh, manufacturers uh, with the idea of selling the technology. So the the Atmosphere is uh, more confused in, in the public tender because not all the actors are with the same idea of uh, permanency, of uh, serving the quality of the energy for long term. When a private actor, when a private corporation is asking for a private tender, probably the invitation is more selective, just uh, five to six to, to seven uh, guests in the, in the process. And for us, this is better because we are competing with peers, with utilities, with companies with long-term uh, idea about uh, the, the, the energy supply. Not with developers, not with uh, investment funds, not with uh, the manufacturers, that uh, they have a very different idea about that uh, long-term means. I, I was talking past week with someone about the, the the decarbonization is a target for 2030, 2050 in Europe. And when we are talking about uh, long term, we shouldn't uh, put the, the transition in hands of companies uh, where the long term is in three, four, five years. So in this in this sense, the corporate, private corporate organizations are very, very selective in terms of getting the potential suppliers. And we are happy with this situation. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, basically what you're saying is, is 
um, the, the the corporates uh, that have a kind of a, a strong balance sheet and are in, in, yeah. in, in a good situation do actually have uh, the the option to to choose um, between the different suppliers and you yeah. find yourself in competition sure. between between your peers. Um, let's quickly talk about COVID nineteen and um, and how this has been affecting uh, the the development of renewable uh, assets in, in different markets. Um, what what is your take? Where which markets do you think um, might be most affected? Well, COVID nineteen is it's affecting a lot of our lives, our usual lives. But uh, happily, the COVID nineteen didn't affect our operations. So during the pandemic times, the, in the in the middle of the lockdown in the different markets, we were operating because we are supplying a very essential product that is the electricity that is vital for all kind of uh, essential services. Our operations were very, very well in, in, the, in the middle of the pandemic with very high standards of availability, very high standards of uh, safety and, and, and showing to us a lot of things about how to operate in the future. We learn a lot about operating with less people, with less a possibility of uh, moving our people in our spare parts and, and saving money. And probably this is defining a new standard of availability and safety for the future. So it was a good lesson and, and well, and, and we learn a lot about uh, how to do the things better and more uh, with more frugality and, and more efficiency in the, in the future. About the markets, uh, we are always talking about two kinds different of markets, the addition markets, markets uh, where new energy is necessary because they, are, have, they have a lack of uh, capacity, they are growing and they need to, to put more capacity in, in the substitution markets as uh, Europe, that uh, markets where we are well served in, the, in terms of capacity and where the necessity is to make a substitution of very old and dirty capacity for new and clean uh, capacity. In the first, in the addition markets, probably because the COVID, the GDP is growing slowly and, and, and sure the addition is going uh, slowly, but the direction is the same. The direction is not going to change. The, the renewal revolution uh, started before COVID and nothing changed the, the direction. Maybe the velocity in the addition market is going uh, slower, but with a lot of incentives from the government to get a quick and fast recovery, the, the solution will be also to invest more in renewals. In the substitution markets, uh, it's necessary more help from the regulators uh, is necessary to push. The substitution is not happening in a natural uh, manner. It's necessary to force the substitution because with less emission, because the, the reduction of the GDP, uh, probably some part of the interest uh, could disappear. And in this case, in the more mature economies, it's necessary more pressure from the regulator and the plans as the next generation of the green recovery are in this direction in order to clarify that more renewables will be 
will mean more uh, recovery. So it's affecting, but not in in the principal manner. So the direction is clear, the velocity is enough, and probably the COVID is accelerating the trends because today more than ever, the, the new investment is necessary. And today, nobody is going to invest in zombie technologies. The investment will be in the new one, will be in, in future. So probably the COVID is becoming positive in the medium term. In the short term, that's clear that the lack of the demand uh, was affecting a lot of the companies, uh, reducing the demand, reducing the, the merchant prices. But in the in the mid term, COVID will be uh, will accelerate the, the penetration of renewable because it, the renewables is appearing as the uh, recovery solution. Yeah, and it might not only accelerate um, the the expansion of renewables, but it also might um, accelerate um, some uh, new technologies, um, especially uh, digital uh, technologies that um, might make, for instance, operations of, of renewable um, yes more more um, more robust against um against such a, a global uh, health pandemic so uh, talking about accelerating technologies i would like in our final segment uh, to talk a little bit about innovation which is an area that uh, axiona is also putting uh, a lot of emphasis on and i would like to to start of this segment um was asking more of a bit of a, a general question uh, when you look at innovation in energy and also now looking beyond only wind and solar, um, from, from your experience, would you say that there's generally a first mover advantage in energy innovation? Yes, for us, it's an obligation to be the first mover. So the company started 20 or 30 years ago being a pioneer in, in, in sustainability. This was uh, our claim, pioneer in sustainability. Today, our claim is business as unusual. So for us, the innovation is a must. Uh, internally, we have the target of being the first mover in adopting the, the new technologies to our usual business in order to, to, to bring the business as an unusual. In this sense, uh, we are very proud of uh, dedicating a, not a big team, not a huge amount of money, but very focused team and, and, and economical resources uh, in order to improve our operations, incorporating uh, in a very early manner the last uh, fashion and the last technology available. Uh, so as an example, we adopted, we were the first company in, the, in our domestic market in, in operating a battery combined with wind or a battery combined with solar first company in the world in certificating the storage with an international certificator company, first company in the domestic market in using blockchain to, 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 to secure to our customers the origin of our clean energy, or even to use blockchain in order to make a market trade platform to sell uh, green certificates or even the first company in building a hybrid tower 
uh, where the where the heat turbine generator is producing also solar PV with organic PV panels around the tower. That is a kind of autonomous tower. Or, or even we are today involved in a hydrogen green green, of course, hydrogen project that will be the first uh, green hydrogen project uh, that will operate in Spain. It's not too big, but uh, we are going to produce next year 30, uh, sorry, 330 tons per year of uh, green hydrogen to be used in, the, in, in transport or in industry. So for us, uh, the innovation is in, in our uh, DNA and, and uh, probably is the way of becoming different of the rest of big players. So we are smaller than the big than the huge uh, big players, uh, but we are more active or more fast in, in getting the, the solutions, maybe because of our size. And this is our internal target. If we are not going to be the bigger, we need to be the first. And, and for us, the, the, there are a lot of money in the, in the world today, and there are a lot of small companies uh, Startups, uh, we are accelerating. We have a very interesting program, name it I'm Innovation, uh, accelerating in an open uh, innovation process, accelerating startups that are collaborating with us, incorporating all kinds of new technology, new devices, of new solutions in order to improve and to become more efficient and more attractive for our customers. Uh, giving to them the, the faster solutions. So for us, it's, it's, it's crucial. We are dedicating a lot of, uh, lot of our time to, to do things, new things for the first time. We, we were putting in operation a couple of months ago, the first uh, floating PV plant in Spain. And now it's a very good reference for the future to do more more in the future in, in the inside the green recovery. And, and what do you think will be the bigger disruptor? Um, deep tech, um, so hardware or, um, or, or software digital solutions? Probably the, the most difficult thing about in, uh, innovation. Well, one advantage about innovation is don't have to lot of money to do it because if you don't have a lot of money you are you need to be more focused in developing the real useful uh, devices or the real useful technologies uh, that's clear that we are in the middle of a new disruption uh, renewables was uh, where was uh, disruptive technology 15 or 20 years ago starting in a very disruptive manner and today this uh, the mainstream and the very very mature technology so we are putting attention in the disruptive technologies today maybe the fuel cells maybe the hydrogen the green hydrogen uh, because uh, the disruptive technologies today will be the mainstream in 15 or maybe before because things today are faster every day and, and the technology development is also being accelerated because there are many common interests in the society 
uh, in order to accelerate uh, the, the disruptive technology. We are very focused today in solar, of course, in all kinds of solar panels, uh, the, 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 not just the, the bifacial, also the thin film, uh, installing in, uh, in a lab that we have all kinds of panels in terms of inclination from five to 90 degrees uh, with floating, with hydrogen, with fuel cells. We are uh, interested in, in all the future because probably today the wind is commodity, is, uh, is invented before and the PV is invented before. Now, next generation of improvements is going to come. Yeah, there's there's a lot of exciting um, technologies out there that are waiting uh, to be scaled, and probably we should have another discussion in a few years to to see which of these actually uh, picked up. So we've come to the end of today's podcast, um, where we covered various topics around uh, renewable expansion, decarbonization, and energy innovation. My guest on the show today was Rafael Mateo, Energy CEO of Axiona. Rafael, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. That was Tekla von Bülow, project leader for commission projects at Aurora's Berlin office, speaking to Rafael Mateo, Energy CEO of Axiona. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.